Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Justin, don't you love having a clean set of balls? Do we mean footballs? No, I mean my testicles. Justin, when I used to trim little Ryan, it was a risky job. My shaver would often cut me, and so the whole experience was rather unpleasant. Is it similar for you? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's usually quite uncomfortable. Well, it doesn't have to be this way, because Manscaped have now launched in the UK. They are the ball shaving specialists. I've had a go on one of their trimmers, and it is a dream. It's designed specifically with your balls in mind. That means less accidents and a much smoother shave. Also, it's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower, and it's got an LED light, so you can see what you're doing. Justin, let me tell you, it's a life changer. That sounds amazing. Where can I get one? I'm glad you asked. Go to manscaped.com, and because you're a listener of this superb podcast, you can get 20% off plus free shipping if you use the code SECONDTIER. That's one word. So that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com, and use the code SECONDTIER. Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. David Webb, I was previously head of football at Huddersfield. I held previous roles in football, technical director at Sweden, a club called Ostersunds, head of, head of recruitment at Bournemouth, Tottenham. Firstly, is there a difference between a sort of a technical director, sporting director, and head of football operations? Obviously, they're all the same type of role, but with fairly different titles. It'd be good to know sort of exactly what each role, well, what your role entails within a football club. Yeah, um, I, I think I think no matter what the title is, the roles differ from club to club depending on what the club needs are. So, with Huddersfield, it was an operational role um, which incorporated a lot of elements you'd sort of find with a sporting or technical director. So um, recruitment, uh, players' contracts, negotiating contracts, um, overseeing sort of footballing departments like the academy, the analysis, sports science, medical. Um, I had um, a massive input into the new managers coming to the club when I first started. And it was just to realign the club structure with the new current owner's um, philosophy and what he wanted and and within that operational role at Huddersfield I had more sort of like training ground responsibilities because I was incorporating a new training ground so there was a management of that and a few different departments so sort of like the catering and um, sort of groundsman which usually maybe not come under sort of a normal sport director's remit but as it was that operational role it did extend to those um, duties as well. So is it almost everything that has an impact on the football side of things? Obviously, you mentioned the, the grounds work and the catering as well, even stretches to that. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. And that was their role, what they had previously. And But 
because of my experience and my background, it was the first and foremost was to appoint managers and oversee the transition from where Huddersfield had just come from in the Premier League um, into the Championship. And there was going to be some turnover of players in in that year that needed to be, which was high priority, sort of the players that um, wanted to move on to different challenges and players that you know we wanted to bring in that were more we felt that were more realigned to the new structure. So, how does this type of senior role shape a football club? Obviously, you mentioned the the, the impact you have across the board on, on football. How but how does it have a direct impact on on the, the first team? You know, there's there's a lot of that goes into it operationally, from recruitment to even the catering, as you say. Just, just how much of an impact is that uh, on 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 a on a football club? Yeah, I think it has a real positive impact, and I think the game is is a it started off as a quite a European model for sport and technical director with yeah. a head coach type of role, and I think over the last four or five years, it's definitely sort of changing towards that here in England. And what it allows a head coach or a manager to do of a football club is just to concentrate purely on the football. And, and that would be winning games, picking mm-hmm. the team, um, even stuff like integrating academy players into the squad and just and just sort of concentrating on all the sort of footballing philosophy aspects as well and sort of getting results on a weekly basis where maybe sort of an old type of fashion manager might be stretched across the board a little bit. So it allows, especially allows just them really to concentrate on what their main strengths are and that is to, you know, to coach the football team and to win football games. Absolutely. Should more clubs in the UK adopt this role? Because for me, it makes complete sense having someone to run the football side of things. You know, there's a dedicated per- person, to, as as you mentioned, to the operation um, aspect as well. You know, it lines loads on the managers, um, and there's obviously someone there with specific expertise to run the operational side of things. Yeah, it does. It does. It's, and it also depends on the size of your club and what elements mm-hmm. you know you're you're tasked to do. But um, like just just recruitment in in any football club is 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 key. It's paramount. So just to have someone with an expertise that can work alongside a manager and provide that um, structure where he hasn't got to think of actually doing too much of that sort of side himself. Mm-hmm. He's he's got someone trusted working alongside side him that's overseeing a football strategy, but also understands the philosophy of the club, that uh, you know the core values, the way the team plays, and so when you come to recruiting players, it becomes you know that's that's sort of a less worried because he knows he's got someone sort of tried and tested alongside them in in that arena, and also yeah. to manage other departments where. You know, a sports science department is a is a very big department. So elements of that would would sometimes come under a manager's remit, and sometimes come under a sporting director's remit. But um, just to take the pressure off sort of these departmental roles, where obviously the you know they all feed into a first team, and um, especially sort of on the sports science, the physical conditioning side. But the actual department and the structure in that, you know, that can just that can just fall under the you know the role of the sporting director, and that just relieves relieves the coach of of that sort of worry and responsibility. So you mentioned um, your role at Huddersfield Town was to you know you initially had to 
start finding um, a new manager. Um, and obviously that was, that was your first task. You brought in the Cowleys, but what exactly does that process look like for you going in for a new manager? Because from the outside in, we always hear reports of there's been hundreds of applications for this job. We're drawing a shortlist. Yeah, no, no, you do. You always hear there's lots of speculation. And when the Huddersfield role become available, obviously we did, you know, at the time there was a lot of interest because it's, a, you know, it was a very attractive position for a, for a lot of coaches and managers. A team that's just come out of the Premier League, he's got a good, healthy squad um, and it's going to be very competitive in the championship. But our, our thinking was, well, myself and the owner sat down and the thinking was, well, you know, what, what type of manager do we want? Mm. Um, what 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 do we want? The not obviously we know he's got to win games and results, but what else do we want him to represent? So you look at Huddersfield as a town; it's a community community based town, lots of, lots of working working class values, and and with Danny Cowley and his and his brother Nicky, their story and their success was was quite attractive because they worked their way up from sort of the very lower leagues. They had a good success in terms of getting to FA Cup quarterfinals, yeah. working on sort of minimum budgets, you know, getting from non-league to League One. And the team at the time hadn't won won any games, and we felt that they could bring sort of a fresh impetus. They could they could align themselves to the fans and the community. They would have those sort of values that the fans would um, recognise, but also more importantly, to help lift the help lift the team. So. We had a sort of a number of tick boxes we wanted to to achieve, and and when we looked at it, and also an up and coming an up and coming managers as well mm. to give them a chance to, you know, to showcase themselves at championship level, and I think that was that was important as well. So when we sort of did our research, and when you know you, you, your list of of candidates you actually want to speak to that fit into those into those sort of criterias, then your list becomes smaller and smaller and out of that you know Danny and Nicky became sort of quite a clear-cut choice. So, so, so with that was there uh, a long-term goal because obviously with, with Huddersfield Town in the past they've had um, in, in a similar role to the one you had they had David Moss, Olaf Webb. Um, how much does that have an impact that sort of changing of that role uh, to, on, on firstly on recruitment the squad and uh, who the managers deal with? Yeah, I think I think Huddersfield going forward have always had this structure and this role, and the way they recruit is um, when it was under David Wagner, they, they recruited to sort of a, his style and his philosophy, mm-hmm. um, but they still had this, they still had certain values and cultures that you know they wanted to see in players. So, um, as you mentioned, sort of the two previous sort of heads of football before me, there would have been some similarities. So it wouldn't have been a complete overhaul. So, so when myself come in, I'll. It wouldn't have been right. Okay, we want to, you know, tear it all up and start again from scratch. There mm. was, there was bits of overlap that continued the momentum of the football club, and that's important. And also, even with Danny and Nicky, with the work that David Wagner done and Jan Siever, you know, his short in his short time at the club, yeah, there was still there was still continuation. So, and and the view of the football club is, you know, not to change everything when you when you change a sport director or you change a manager to, to retain as much as you can. Obviously, there's mm. going to be elements of changes, but they're not going to be dramatic changes, or you know, they're going to, they're going to be or which is going to cost the clubs sort of a lot of money financially. They just want to keep things pretty similar 
but just add some more current changes depending on all the you know the management personnel is. So obviously, it was it was at the time it was quite a massive coup to bring in Danny and Nikki Cowley uh, as they were widely sought after. Um, so I think they were linked with the Sheffield, heavily linked with the Sheffield Wednesday job as well. Um, yeah. How how do you sell a football club from from your aspect um, to to someone who has multiple opportunities available to them, mainly because of their reputation? Yeah, I mean, at the time they they said they you know had some good success at Lincoln, and you know they was linked with a with a, with a few different roles within the championship. So um, we was just very clear in what we in what we wanted, and and we done our homework, and we knew that a, a lot of their core values were aligned with ours. We knew that um, you know because other championship clubs see them at that particular level that. We knew that the challenge for them, you know, they could take on the challenge and manage mm. the challenge as well. And I think it was, you know, that they like to be involved in like the community aspect and sort of in like, uh, engage with the fans and uh, the young players was, was sort of appealing to them to, uh, you know, bring young Huddersfield players through to the academy. So we were just very honest and clear with what we wanted. And um, because we'd done our homework, we knew that at least four or five of those were going to align to what they wanted. So. Yeah. Um, and I think that was just sort of like good work from from our behalf to you know when you do that because you can you can there's, there's lots of quality managers out there that are you know mm. very very good in their own right but if their philosophy and their style and their values are not going to be similar to yours then you know you, it's it, it's probably not a good start off to a successful relationship going yeah. forward. So that that allowed us, from the relationship perspective, to sort of give us something to build upon and work upon, because um, you know we were in an agreement of how we wanted the football club to go forward. Was there still a long term plan there for for Huddersfield? Because obviously you've been relegated from the Premier League, you're now transitioning to a Championship side. Was there a remit to? Obviously, it, you know they got to a bad start in the league at uh, start of the season. Um, was there still a remit to? especially at the start of the season before the, the run started to challenge for promotion or is it a case of parachuting down not reset not pressing the reset button but building back up again yeah it was the it was the building back up and and that was that was clear from the start it wasn't going to be a you know let's let's look to reinvest straight away and sort of see if we can buy you know maybe the, the players in the market that we thought could get us back up within the first season it was um first season was always to maintain championship status was that we knew there was going to be some turnover in the playing staff yeah so we didn't want to add or build upon that too much with with the type of players that we probably thought could have come in and maybe got us up straight away it was we just wanted players that wanted to play for the football club we had a long-term aim of bringing some academy products through as well and it was it was a three year plan. Mm. So within three years, that was, you know, if it happened in year one, fantastic. But there was no, there was no set pressure to say we have to get promoted in in this. It, you know, it was solid um, as a club um, financially coming down from the Premier League. You know, you you can afford that time, but also to make sure that you you know if you when you want to challenge to go back up. And compete for those playoff and automatic places that you're in a position to do so with a squad that um, a squad of players that you know are capable of doing that. 
So obviously now Huddersfield decides to go down a slightly different route. Carlos uh, Corbran is 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 in as a the head coach, uh, and recruitment yeah. is rumored to be overseen. Will will be be overseen by the chairman amongst others. With your experience in in, in the role of head of operations, football operations, is there is there a, is there a right right way to do it? Obviously, I look at examples of teams that have enjoyed success, like Leeds, Brentford, Norwich, all have these setups. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I guess on the flip side, it, Derby and Borough are examples of not having a structure and spending without thought. So is there a right way to go about it um, from yeah. the other side? Yeah, there's yeah. Whichever whichever club you're at, it's the way the way the way forward is is if you have a sort of a sporting director or a technical director position within that club, they are going to be you know ultimately um, have a main responsibility on the players in and out of the football club and that will be along with that responsibility the manager will also have an input the recruitment team will have an input and the board and the owner will have an input but if your processes are are all together and mm. this is the way we're going to recruit for our football club and um, the sporting director the manager the you know the head of recruitment uh, senior board members and the owner CEOs when you come to that sort of like decision making, when you've actually got got the you know got the players and one of your target players, and you're ready to push the button, that there's not too much discrepancy in that. So it's not bought off the cuff. It's not you try not to buy it where it's um, reactive, which sometimes you do, but because a situation arises, but you try not to as much as possible, mm. and you just try and stick to your processes and. You're not always going to get the ones you want, and you're not always you're not always going to be um, you're not always going to be in a position where you can you you can say right okay we didn't get we didn't get one but let's look at let's look at player number two let's look at player number three yeah and I think if you, as long as you're um, prepared in that aspect and you're prepared for the sort of multiple scenarios that the transfer window is going to bring. And and you know exactly what what you're trying to do, then you're just trying to tip the odds in your favour, mm. and to make sure that you can you know you can stick to your structures and you get what's what what's needed, what's best for your football club. And I think going forward, it's it is the best way forward because if everyone agrees, if you've got a happy house, when it becomes um, you know sort of decisions where players are bought and then you change managers and yeah. the managers. You bring in got a completely different philosophy to what you've you've just purchased, and that that type of player might not fit into the way the style that the new manager wants to play, and you know it could be very expensive, and also very costly as well mm. because you know the cha- championship clubs, especially now with what's gone on, are not going to be in a position to to carry those you know to carry those over. So the processes you need to put in place for your recruitment are going to be you know. They should be, and I think going forward, especially what's happened, will be very key. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. 
We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh, no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. So going into recruitment, obviously, you said at the start, you've had various roles in football, talent identification scout at Southampton, head of first team recruitment at Bournemouth, head of elite potential identification at Spurs, at Tottenham Hotspur. It seems trivial, but obviously you said recruitment is going to be very important going forward with with what's happened. Just, just, just how how essential is it in getting recruitment right? And this is not just at first team level; it's also at youth level as well. Yeah, it's it's there. Always, always an old saying that you know the clubs is only as good as the players. Mm. Your players are your most um, are your commodities. You know, they're the most valuable assets within the football club. So you should you should always have an objective of of, of what your of what your club's philosophy is going forward. So. And your recruitment structures should, you know, fit in alignment with that. So if you have, you know, if you have a plan to say, for example, in the, for example, in the championship that you that you want to attack and be in a playoff place within two, three years, you know, your aim should be to work within that three-year guideline. Mm-hmm. If it's to be in year one, then you know this, then that changes it. Then you might have to change to look at and sacrifice certain elements because you're going to bring in sort of ready-made players within that but then you also have to plan that you know if that doesn't happen what's going to happen to those players what's going to happen to the club what's going to happen to the financial structures what's going to so and it's key all the way going forward and especially with the type of ones if you look at you mentioned Brentford earlier Brentford purchase young mm-hmm. and they integrate them into their B squad so they're, they're what you call sort of like late seed investors yeah so they will invest in a what they call a quality 17, 18, 19 year old who will go straight into their B team, train regularly with the first team and when they're ready, they will expose them into that first team structure. So I think that's, there's a few clubs now that are following that model and that, you know, and that depending on the type of academy you have underneath, that's, you know, I think that's going to work well for some clubs more than others. I I think it was the the change in the, um, how the Premier League Youth recruitment worked that sort of cited quite a lot of change, especially with the B teams for Brentford. Should more clubs adopt this? Because there are clubs with category four status, category three status. They really can't compete financially uh, in youth in youth development. I know Huddersfield Town adopted the same um, sort of system um, not too long ago as well. Is that effect a more cost effective way of? Picking young talent up and then bringing them through the through the youth uh, through, the, through the youth ranks. Yeah, uh, it, it can be. It depends on obviously, like your club. If you've got a cat one, cat two status, then of course you're going to maintain, you know, developing, you know, early seed investors and developing very young. If you are, for example, like you say, maybe a cat three or cat four, especially with what's gone on, mm-hmm. you might not be able to afford, unfortunately, to continue the development of your sort of younger players from sixteen and below. So it might be sort of a chance for certain clubs to think in terms of rather than trying to compete in that market and given where the clubs are financially just to maybe say, okay, we'll just have one team underneath our first team 
but they are going to be made up from players from the ages of 7 to 16 to maybe 22, mm. 21, 22. And we're going to look to integrate those players into our first team. And that might be better financially and better from a recruitment perspective for those clubs going forward. So, so sticking with uh, recruitment, you, your time at Bournemouth, you were um, head of first team recruitment there. Uh, and while you were there, uh, players like Adam Smith, Andrew Sermon, Callum Wilson, uh, Junior Stanis, Dan Gosling, they all came through the door uh, at that time. Yeah. They're all key figures still in the team now. How, how was, was there a specific process back then? Because obviously at that point they were a mid-table championship side and then they were turned into a Premier League side within 18 months. How much of the recruitment process supported that sort of push? Yeah, a lot. Uh, to be fair, I, I would say a lot of that process supported that push because when I first came into the club, Bournemouth at that time had just come up from um, League One mm. and um, their, their recruitment structures needed um, to be, say the wrong words, yeah, maybe, maybe modernised a little bit because there were certain systems and stuff that um, Eddie Howe and Jason and the team wanted in place and that's why they sort of brought me in from Southampton. So they wanted to modernise it a little bit and and uh, and align and align the processes to the playing style of Eddie Howe, um, and we had a stats program, which was which was key to that. And we developed our own one, and also used some ones in the market. Um, we had we developed sort of a key characteristic system because the dressing room and players' characters and their backgrounds are key. Um, so we had that in place, but also, you know, we knew where we was competing in the market. Bournemouth wasn't the biggest team in the championship by any means. Yeah, it was below, you know, it was below middle in terms of sort of salaries and and what you could spend. So we had to be very cute and very clever with the type of players um, that we wanted to bring in that sort of fitted all those elements. And and over a period of sort of two years. Um, it worked successfully, so I'd say probably the seven or eight players that were signed under that uh, under that sort of recruitment process, mm. I would say six of those are still there now. So, yeah. which is a testament to the recruitment process, but also to the club and to Eddie Howe to have keeping faith and trust in those players that you know that helped them get to reach a Premier League in the first place. Obviously, the, the amount of detail you mentioned that that went into the recruitment uh, again from from the outside in from from from, from a supporters' perspective, some clubs go willy nilly at times and they just spend in the transfer window. Whereas that process seems a lot more thought out. You mentioned um, personality characteristics that you know you want to fit into the uh, into the dressing room. You know what exactly goes into that recruitment process? Because as I mentioned, there are some clubs that from the outside in just spend for the sake of spending at times, especially at championship level. Yeah, at Bournemouth, it was, that side was key and it was good because you had a manager that was um, into the into the character and the leadership and the psychological side. Um, I'd, I'd, I had a, I've got a master's in sports psychology and mm. it was kind of the way, um, the process of how, how I recruit is for me it's always about the environments you're recruiting into and where they're coming from so it was about it was about getting certain matches on certain on certain types of certain traits so 
understanding Bournemouth at a club. So what 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 type of thing represent a, a Bournemouth player and an Eddie Howe type player and the values that go into that. Um, so some of the some of the key characteristic qualities that you would you would look for, especially in the scouting phase, yeah. like stuff that the stuff that you would necessarily you once you've got your football elements ticked, you know the the work ethic, how how quick they transition, how how much they react to pressure, how the communication aspect of with other players, and then with the information you receive on the background of them as as a human being you marry the two up and to see if they're sort of aligned together because uh, the dressing room, especially for Eddie Howell, I'm sure it is for most managers, was quite sacred. So, mm. you know, to keep to keep that balanced, if you like, with, you know, good characters that were committed to the club and committed to the calls and the process, um, they're not easy. It's not an easy thing to find because you can't guarantee human behaviour, no matter how talented the football player is. So, yeah. we thought if we could, if we could just narrow down a few of those, and you know, at least exhibit a, you know a couple, couple of stronger ones, then the rest can be moulded by the strength of the group once they're in, once they're in the club. Could that be one of the reasons why that group has stayed together for so long? You look at the likes of Simon Francis, Steve Cook, Charlie Daniels, they've been there for years. Burnley are another club that sort of have a, have a similar strategy in a way. Um, ben Mee, uh, James Tarkovsky have yeah. been there for a while. Could that be a reason why they're, they're still together now after so many years? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's a lot of trust from the from the first team management, it's a lot of trust from his fellow players. It's a lot of trust from the first team staff and other members of staff around the club, and it's and it's also a sort of a testament to to those players individually because they are, you know, that they, they buy into what the club is and mm. they're happy applying their their football trade there. They're happy probably personally within the, you know that some of them have families and you know their kids could be settled and. A lot of things are, are a lot more important to them. They could be, you know, it's enjoying their football, enjoying going into work and train every day. Mm. So if the environment is key for players and feeling valued by the management staff as part of that is, you know, is, is a testament to probably sort of Sean and Eddie because they're big on keeping that environment thriving, keeping keeping players grounded, but also keeping it competitive and, you know, having a humility about them. And that's, you know that takes a lot of work to keep to keep doing that year in year out. Yeah, uh, and just staying on Bournemouth for a second, you you mentioned you one of the, the the key issues with Woodsfield when you're coming down is you know you having you you're gonna have a transition, um, you're gonna players will be leaving. Are they almost gonna have to adopt a similar sort of strategy to Huddersfield when they came down? Because obviously with Bournemouth, there's a lot of talented players there that will more than likely get cherry picked by by the Premier League clubs. Yeah, and I think if the obvious names, you know, that they stand out as they are, like obviously Nathan Ackes mm. and Callum Wilson's, obviously they've been, you know, headhunted for a while now. So they will, I'm sure, you know, mentioning those two names, there might be a few others there that, you know, want to continue to play in the Premier League. So Bournemouth, have, the good thing about Bournemouth now is as a very, you know, as still as, you know, a lot of young players have been recruited over the last, like Lloyd Kelly, Chris Meppham. You know, Stacey from Luton, um, they have Lewis Cook and they have Solanke. So they have these core young players that were, you know, that were playing um, 
that might not probably always get in regular games at Bournemouth at Premier League level, might have a chance now to play regular football at Championship level. Mm. Where with some of the more sort of senior players there might have aspirations to, you know, to stay within the Premier League because they know there's still a market for all those services. So I, I think Bournemouth, knowing them as they are, they won't they won't try and rush things. They will look at what they got. They will assess it. They will assess what's best for the club, what's best for the players, what's best what's best for everyone. And if it's deemed because they won't have players within the club, you know, that don't really want to be there. So. But also, they want to try and help the club by maximising their values as well. Mm. So, it'd be it'd be an interesting balancing act for them. But they've still got, you know, even if certain players do leave, they still have a healthy squad within within that. Some good young players they've actually recruited from the championship to be competitive. Uh, and obviously, you know, it seems club spending from the Premier League down to the bottom of the championship has been relaxed, and the, and the impact of COVID nineteen may have been quite. A significant wake-up call for for clubs to start recruiting smart, developing youth, um, and adopting a, a, well, a much different philosophy to the one that they used to. How important do you think recruitment, well, recruitment at all levels, is going to be going forward? Obviously, as I've said, clubs aren't going to be able to spend seven, eight million pounds on a on a big forward, especially at championship level anymore. No, they're not, and and, and I think this is it gives you two two things to look at in these scenarios. So, some of the clubs you mentioned there, like a Derby and a Middlesbrough, have very strong academies. Derby have you know, had four or five. I think at one point they had eight homegrown players in the starting lineup the yeah. other week against Millwall. So uh, that that's probably going to give you an indication of the direction they're going to go in for for next season with. Um, maybe the investments they've had in the past, where they've looked to you know buy established players that they thought could get them there, they they're changing their remit now to 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 give young players the opportunity and maybe be a little bit more cute and creative in the market. So mm. I think loans will be will be key, loaning on putting yeah. on sort of some of the Premier League clubs that of some of their top younger players that you know are not going to get games. And also, sort of, some of the lower league players were given opportunities from League One, League Two, um, some even from National League. That where before that they could have had a, they could have had the finance to say, okay, we more or less want to go for an established player. Where they think, okay, now we're going to go for a, a League One player with great potential, mm. something like which, which Brentford have done over the last two, three years and served them really well. So, I think, I think, that, and also to develop within those are going to be a sort of two key elements I think for clubs to be sort of, um, creative in in this way going forward because like you said that the money and no one knows when the fans are actually going to be in yeah back into a stadium so you know lose with, with money being in clubs the investment and stuff and the sponsors not being as it is it's going to be you're going to be very selective in what you do oh, absolutely uh I think finally, you know, I'm sure there are many supporters um, of clubs that are going to be listening and saying, you know, please come to my club because, again, myself being a Derby supporter, I know how bad recruitment has been over the last few years and it's set us back by years. So I think the question now is, you know, what's next for you? You know, is there a project coming up or is it just a case of having a bit of a break? No. um, Yeah, no, there is is a couple of things in the pipeline. it's quite good now the season's finished because I think um, I've had some 
positive conversations. Mm. I haven't signed anywhere as of yet. So um, for me, it's, it's about the right club and the right project, um, being in the right environment and working with sort of good staff good, and good players. So um, I, I'm, it doesn't necessarily matter. I'm open to sort of a, a championship club or Premier League club. It's the conversations I've, I've had are both... A, um, with sort of a couple of clubs, with good conversations have both been in the, in in those arenas. So, for me, it's all about the right club, the right environment, with the right structures, and you can see sort of a good a good achievable process going forward. Uh, no club that has to be built from scratch. You know, I, I imagine that would be quite a task, especially in the current environment. Yeah, I, I think so. You, uh, I think for me, you, you know, like Huddersfield was a was a really good project, but it needed um, for that three year plan. It, when the team comes down, I knew my job was just to transition. So that was I employed my manager in place, which we could maintain championship status, lift the squad, turnover of players in January, and help build the departments back to what the owner wanted, mm. and sort of maintain some of the operational stuff and bring that. Um, up to a good standard. So, my next role will probably be looking for because um, Huddersfield was sort of a quick turnover role, more sort of a longer term prospect with something you can sort of build, you know, build build on for the future. I say, I want to thank you for your time today, and uh, hopefully, you've been giving no uh, a, a chance to uh, give supporters a bit more background into what goes on behind the scenes. No problem at all. No problem at all. Happy to help. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.